Hello, this is Brett Martin with Chesterfield Baptist Church. We've all heard of Daniel and the lion's den. Well, the title of the message this morning is David and the lion's den. And this is continuing our series on being encouraged in the Lord. So, please enjoy. Psalms number 57 this morning, continuing in our series on the life of David entitled Encouraged. We'll be reading from Psalms number 57. If you have your places, I'm going to invite you to stand one last time for respect and reverence to the Word of God. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge, until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. Thy lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. The title of the message this morning is David in the Lion's Den. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity once again to be in your house. Lord, we're thankful that we can stand in here and hold the Word of God and read it aloud. Lord, thankful that you gave us a message, Lord, for us to follow. I pray that you'd be with us today, be with this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I would have to say, if it's, not in my, if it's not my number one favorite movie, I'd have to say it's probably in the top five. If not, I could even say maybe in the top three. But I love this movie, and the name of the movie is called The Ghost in the Darkness. And I like this movie because it's a true story. You see, because in, uh, in 1898... There was a railroad construction crew in Savo, Africa, that was building a bridge across the river. And during this nine-month period in 1898, these, this railroad construction crew were being terrorized and victimized by two man-eating lions. 
These were two lions who had gotten the taste of human blood and they all they stalked and started to pick off this railroad construction crew. And I, I like the movie. It's a good movie, but also the fact that it's a true story adds another element to it. In fact, today you could go to the, to the, nat, to the Field natural, natural History Museum in Chicago, Illinois, and you can see these two lions. They actually have the lions on display at the Natural History Museum in Chicago. And, and uh, you know, so they have these lions, and these lions are actually tear And during this nine-month period, these lions killed 135 railroad construction workers. In nine months. So when David says in Psalms number 57, when he says, my soul is among lions. What exactly does he mean? What exactly is he talking like? What's he talking about? Back to our story of David. David's struggle, he knew his struggle was far from over. You see, David had gotten a little rest because Saul had to leave from pursuing David to go after the Philistines. So David got a little rest. He got a little relaxment. He got a little reprieve from running from Saul. But let me tell you something. There's no rest for the weary, and his little rest did not last very long. In fact, it wasn't very long before Saul once again was back on the hunt for David. Because Saul's number one priority was killing the renegade psalmist. That was his number one priority. So once again, we see in the scripture that David once again found himself in a cave. Back when he was running from the Philistines, from the king of the Philistines, King Achish, he ran into a cave called Adullam. Now he's on the run from Saul, and now he's running to another cave. And this is a cave in the valley of Engadi. And David is just on the run once again. David has managed to make a lot of enemies in a short amount of time. First, first enemy was the king of the Philistines, King Achish. Next, we have the demonic Doeg was after him. Saul had chased him to Keilah, and he once again escaped with his life. And then he went to Ziph, and he thought the Ziphims and the Ziphites would, would, would help him because they were his brethren. But they stabbed him in the back and betrayed him, and he had to run again. And now David has run to the, run to the wilderness of a place called En Gedi. Now let me read for you 1 Samuel 24, 1 and 2. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Like I said, no rest for the weary. So we see in Psalms 57, 4, that David describes his situation. In verse 4 in Psalms 57, this is how he describes it. He says, My soul is among lions. I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Like man-eating lions roaming around the savannah, David's enemies seeked his soul. 
They sought after David with a fiery passion that could only be satisfied by the death of David. And the Bible says that if they couldn't kill him with the sword, they hated David with so great a passion that they would rip him, rip him up, literally rip David apart with their teeth. But one thing I want, I want you to see, I want you to notice in verse number four, the Bible doesn't say that their teeth are sharp. The Bible says their tongue is sharp. Oh, the teeth, they can, they, they can, you know, their arrows and spears, and sure the teeth can injure, but in comparing the tongue to a sharp sword, it shows us that nothing can cut you as deep as the tongue. What's the old saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is hogwash. You can break my arm and my arm will heal. You can say certain, you can say a word to me and that word will stick with me for the next 50 years of my life. So don't tell me that sticks and stones are worse than the tongue because that is not true. The tongue is very, very sharp and the tongue can cut very, very deep. I want you to, I want you to see this morning, David realized that he was in the lion's den. David looked around and he saw all these enemies around him and he counted the enemies that were against him and these 3,000 sharpshooters that were after his soul and David looked up one day and realized, I am in the lion's den. Now we've been going through these psalms for a few weeks now and it kind of seems like all these psalms, they kind of they follow the same formula. Duh, 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 duh. And here's the formula. David's in trouble, David prays, God delivers David, David rejoices. That's kind of the same little formula here. But I want to show you that Psalms 57 isn't like that. Psalms 57 is different. Psalm 57 has a different message. Why is this? Because by the time we get to Psalms 57, David is starting to learn his lessons. David is starting to learn. David is, David is starting to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And David's starting to grow and learn his lessons. And this is no longer the story of a man on a roller coaster who's up one day and down the next only to rise again. And, and this isn't that story anymore. Uh, David's starting to get it. He's starting to learn the lessons that God is trying to teach him. And David, he's learning how to be encouraged in the Lord. In Psalms 56, when we first started this, this series off, David was nervous. David was frightened. His words were scattered at his, as his thoughts. But here, um, well, back in Psalms 56, it's almost like, David's trying to convince himself to trust in the Lord. He's trying to convince himself to trust in the Lord. And as the story of David's life goes chronologically, in between Psalms 56 and Psalms 57, there's Psalms 34, Psalms 52, and Psalms 54. All happen in between Psalms 56 and 57. So all those psalms uh, happen in between 56 and 57. And then by the time we get to 57, 
we've noticed that David's a little calmer. David's kind of got a handle on this thing a little more. And it's like all those months of running and all those months of hiding and all those months of worrying, they, they didn't, you'd think that they would take a spiritual toll on a person, but all those things, it didn't take a spiritual toll on David. In fact, it built David up. It actually made David stronger. So God used the worrying and God used the hiding and God used the running and God used the anxiety and God used the despair to make him stronger. All this time, 3,000 of Saul's finest soldiers are searching after David like a hunter searching after a bird. Psalms 11:2 for lo the wicked bend their bow and they make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. David was outmanned, David was outgunned, David was outnumbered. If there was ever a time to panic, now was the time. It was the perfect time to panic. But I, I want you to notice the peace in David. I want you to notice the confidence that David had. As it responded to this crisis, let me, let me pick some statements out of Psalms 57. I want you to listen to these statements as I read them. David said, yea, in the shadow of thy wings, I will make my refuge. He says, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He says, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. He says, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now these words, they paint a beautiful picture. And this picture is, is God is spreading out his massive divine wings and David is hiding in its shadow. Oh, it wasn't the shadow of the cave of Engadi that David was hiding in. He wasn't hiding in the shadow of a cave. He was hiding in uh, the shadow of God's massive wingspan. That's the shadow that David was hiding in. Now, the word refuge and the word trusteth here in verse 1 is they come from the same Hebrew word, okay? And David has learned to trust God with his soul. David has learned to trust God with his life. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings, my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. You see, he didn't quite react. David didn't react like this in the previous songs. David didn't act this way in the previous songs. And God, David learned that God can teach him more lessons in a crisis than he can teach when things are going well. God can teach you lessons in a crisis that you can't learn when things are going your way. God can teach you lessons in a valley that he cannot teach you on the mountaintop. If you remain on the mountaintop, if things always remain going your way, then there are lessons you will not be able to learn. God knows that in order for you to be a better Christian, he has to teach you these lessons. Now, here's the thing. We never like these lessons. We don't like them at all. But I'm here to tell you this morning, these lessons are vital. These lessons are vital because the only way we're going to be able to walk with God 
as in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11, is if we learn these lessons. So what does 1 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11 say? The Bible says, <coughs> excuse me, that ye may walk worthy of, uh, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. You can't walk like that if you don't learn the lessons that God has for you. You can't walk with God like that if you don't learn the lessons in the valley, if you don't learn the lessons for in crisis. That is vital in order to walk with God like that. So once again, we come to God and say, God, through David, help us out. Help us out, God. Help us out, David. What do we do when we're facing a multitude of calamities? How do we respond when wicked people have set traps for us? What do we do when our souls are bowed down in distress? How do we encourage ourselves when we find ourselves in the lion's den? It's the reason why Psalms 57 is in the Bible. In the shadow of thy wings, I will make my refuge. As with David, lions can take many forms in our lives. A lion can be perhaps an unsaved spouse or family member that's making your life miserable. A lion can be a co-worker on the job that's criticizing every move you make. A lion can be a fellow student or teacher at school that's, that despises the Savior and despises you because you stand for him. There's no shortage of combatants ready to follow their father, the devil. There's plenty of those to go around. Psalms 57 gives us a little insight into surviving the lion's den. And David says, if you're going to survive the lion's den, here's what you got to do. Number one, I'm not going to be very long this morning. Number one, the first thing you must do in order to survive the lion's den is number one, we must have a fixed heart. Number one, we must have a fixed heart. When we think of our heart, we think of our emotions. That's where our emotions are. But for David, the heart was more than just emotions. The heart encompassed his desires and the heart encompassed his, his will. For David, the heart was his inner person, okay? The Old Testament saints are commanded in Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. What that means is you're to love God with your whole essence, with everything that you are. And uh, to survive the lion's den, David knew he'd have to involve more than just emotions. He'd have to involve his will and his thinking and his desires and his morals. All that had to be fixed if he was going to survive the lion's den. His whole heart would have to be fixed. Now in the Old Testament, the word fixed was put at the beginning of a sentence to show priority. And when you said it twice, like David did here, it's double priority. He said, my heart is fixed, O oh God. My heart is fixed. 
That's double priority. Now, in the language of David, it would have sounded different. Me and you read it and say, my heart is fixed, my heart is fixed. But if David were to say that in his language, it would sound like this. Fixed is my heart. Fixed is my heart. So David is saying, fixed is my heart. Fixed is my heart. And a fixed heart is a, is a heart that's firm. A fixed heart is a heart that's established. A fixed heart is a heart that is prepared. A fixed heart is a heart that is entrenched, okay, is entrenched and isn't moving. A fixed heart is there for the long term. How do you get a fixed heart? How do you get it? Well, it's the result of a few things. A fixed heart is the result of a Christian who spends time in their Bible building strong convictions. A fixed heart is a result of a commitment to Christ that will not bow down to peer pressure and will not bow down to our pagan culture. A fixed heart is a result of a child of God whose father has proven repeatedly over and over and over that he will be there for his children. And as far as that child goes, that child knows that the father God will always be there and will always deliver. And there's no doubt that he will keep his word. Life in the early 1900s was very difficult for a man named Thomas Chisholm. Thomas Chisholm was born in the early 1900s in a log cabin in Kentucky. And his whole life, his life was kind of plagued with, with health problems. And, but as a young adult, Thomas Chisholm got saved and then Thomas Chisholm surrendered his life to serve Christ. Later on, decades later, Thomas Chisholm would write these words. He said, my income has never been large at any time due to my impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me unto now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and the love that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. Thomas Chisholm never had a lot. He never had a lot of money. His health was never good. He always had health problems. But Thomas Chisholm made a commitment that he was going to live for God with his life. And old Thomas Chisholm that had spent his life walking with God was able to give me and you a gift. And the gift that Thomas Chisholm gave us were in these words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. See, a person with a fixed heart learns 
that God is always faithful. A person with a fixed heart, um, they're not rattled when circumstances look bleak. A person with a fixed heart uh, doesn't get scared when it doesn't look like there's no path to victory because his life taught him to be faithful. If you have a fixed heart, you will learn that God is faithful and you will be faithful. And the lions circling you in the lion's den, they're not going to rattle you and they're not going to scare you because your heart is fixed. Number two this morning, we must have an awakened heart. We must have an awakened heart. In verse number eight, God uses the word awake three times. He says, awake up my glory, awake sultry in heart. I myself will awake early. The word awake is a word of action and it means to be stirred or it means to be aroused and David here is trying to wake up his glory. Wake up, glory. Wake up, glory. And when David's glory is awake, he wants to give the best he can to God. He wants to give God the best of his life. This is a Bible way of saying, I want to give you the best I can give you, Lord. The best I can humanly deliver, I want to give it to you. Now, what is meant here by glory? When David says, wake up glory, when David's talking about his glory, he's talking about his soul. He's talking about his soul. Jacob calls his soul uh, his honor. Genesis 49, 6. Oh, my soul, come, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be thou not untied. You understand that your soul is the most glorious, excellent, honorable part of man because your soul is the breath of God. That's what your soul is. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Your soul is the breath of God. It was the soul that had the image of God stamped upon it, which made man the glory of God. 1 Corinthians eleven seven, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. You know what the problem is? The problem with today's Christians and the problem with Christians in churches today is their souls are asleep. Their souls are asleep. Let me tell you a few things. A soul that is asleep does not exercise the grace of God. A soul that is asleep does not care about divine things, but only cares about carnal, temporary things. A soul that is asleep doesn't care about duty to God and doesn't care about God's will, but only cares about slothfulness and only cares about procrastination. A soul that is asleep only cares about these things. It's time we wake up our soul. It's time we turn the radio on and turn it up and with our mouths declare the glory of God. Our soul, wake up our soul, awake our glory. Just like Deborah did in Judges 5.12. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake. Break out in song, arise, lead away your captives. So how do we do this? 
How do we wake up our soul? You know, it's done through singing and worship. Psalm 16, 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth, rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. How do you wake up your soul today? Your soul is awakened through praise and worship. Through praise and worship is how you wake up your soul. To David, what did this mean? He's talking about the psaltery and harp. To David, this means stirring up the strings of the orchestra. And once the orchestra gets going, then it's time for him to sing from the depths of his soul. Now, for David, the best time for him to spend with God was in the morning. Now, I'm going to be as honest and transparent with you as I possibly can. I am not a morning person. I praise the Lord. I am not a morning person. Although, if we did follow what David did, spending, God, spending time with God before your day gets going is probably the best way to do it. It's a great idea. It's part of the reason why we have a Sunday morning service. You know, it's disappointing. It's disappointing that in today's churches, we often give God the leftovers. We give God the leftovers. Hey, I've, I, I've been in church all too often. I've been in churches where the music is a halfway effort. I've been in churches where, where the preaching is delivered with no study and no preparation. The whole program is disorganized and disrespectful to the one who died for us. He deserves our best music. He deserves our best preaching. He deserves our best service. Number three this morning, if we're going to survive the lion's den, we must have a praising heart. We must have a praising heart. David wanted to be sure his praise was public. He wanted to be sure his praise was public. So in verse 9, he's saying this, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. David wanted to bring others with him to praise God. But in order for David to bring others with him to praise God, they had to see David praise God. You have to see me praise God before you will come praise God with me. So what does he say? First he says, I will praise among the people. That's talking about God's people. I will praise with God's people. If you can't praise God around God's people, then who can you praise God around? If you can't praise God around your brothers and sisters in Christ, then who can, who can you praise God around? We've got a lot to praise God for. We praise God for our health, and we praise God for our salvation, and we praise God for our breath and for our family and for our Bible and for our church. There's an unlimited number of things to praise God for. David mentioned this, mentions this first, praise God among the people, because it's the first step of a praising heart. The first step of a praising heart. If you can't praise God in here, you will never praise God out there. If you can't praise God in your home, you will never praise God out there. And that's why this is the first step. Second, he says, I will sing unto thee among the nations. 
You know, Paul actually referenced this verse in the, in the New Testament. Romans 15, 9 says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. He wanted the world to know that his God was exalted. He wanted the world to know what his God had did for him. He wanted the world to know how cool it was in the shadow of the wingspan of his mighty God. He wanted the world to know. But, you know, sadly today, Christians have been shamed into silence by our evil society. Christians are being shamed into silence today. Oh, but the world, oh, they can proclaim their perverseness. They can proclaim their profanity, but there is zero tolerance for the name of Christ. Zero tolerance. And what you'll find out there is you'll find that these liberals and you'll find that these social justice warriors that preach tolerance, when you disagree with them, they become the most intolerant people. They preach tolerance, but they don't practice it. They are, in fact, the thought police. And you disagree with them, they become intolerant with you. But you know what? We need to be like this. You know, if I'm going to end up in the lion's den anyway, if I'm going to end up in the lion's den no matter what I do, I might as well go passionately. If I'm going to end up in the lion's den anyway, I might as well go in the lion's den swinging. Because I'm going to go there anyway. There is no reason to cower in silence. No reason whatsoever. If the world is not afraid to identify with their father, the devil, me and you should purpose in our heart that everybody in this world is going to... Hitler was intimidating people throughout Germany. There are many ministers and preachers in Germany who were bowing to pressure from Hitler to soften and silence their message. And, and they did this by not speaking the truth. They would sweep things under the rug and not mention certain things and they would soften their message. But there was one preacher in Germany. His name was Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller purposed in his heart that he was not going to soften his message, that he wouldn't cower down, that he wouldn't step down, and he stood up and he spoke the truth. Because Martin Niemöller spoke the truth, he was thrown into jail. While he was in jail, there was a fellow minister, a co-minister of his that came to visit him in jail. The co-minister looked and said, Martin, why are you in jail? Martin, you got to soften your message. If you just softened your message, you didn't speak so harshly, you didn't speak on certain subjects, they let you out. Why are you in here, Martin? Martin looked at the co-minister in shackles behind the bars. He looked at his friend and co-minister and said, let me ask you a question. Why aren't you in here with me? Martin Neimoller was not going to soften his message no matter what happened. 
So what do we do? Let's praise God among the people. Let's praise God among the nation. May this world know that his mercy and truth are great. We need to do our best to promote the pure glory of God above this sinful world, even if we have to do it from the lion's den. So, here's a brand new song, hot off the presses. David's sending it to the choir director. But David did something a little different with this song. At the beginning of this song in the superscript, he put the words out the shift. You know what altashith means? Altashith means do not destroy. And just like he did not want those precious words of, that God gave him destroyed, David says the child of God who, who uh, abides in the safety of the mighty wingspan of God will not be destroyed either. And that goes a long way in helping us be encouraged in the Lord. We head out of every eye closed, no one looking around. You're in the lion's den today. They're all around us, seeking whom they may devour. They're children of their father, the devil. We're in the lion's den no matter, no matter what we want to do, we're in there. How are we going to survive this lion's den? We must have a fixed heart. Man, my heart's not going to, my heart's going to be established and firm and prepared and it isn't moving. I'm going to remain faithful to God because God remains faithful to me. We must have an awakened heart. Our soul doesn't need to be asleep. We need to wake up our soul. Praise and worship will awake your soul and will make you a different person. And then we must have a praising heart. We need to praise God in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to praise God in front of the world. Because the only way they're going to begin to praise God is if they see me and you praise God. We are in the lion's den this morning. In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. When the music plays and we stand to our feet, this altar will be open. If there's someone in here today, you don't know 100% sure that when you leave this earth, you'll open your eyes in heaven. If you'll come to me, I'll take a Bible and I'll show you how you can know that you're on your way to heaven. Maybe, in day, and maybe you're in here today and you say, Brother Brett, I know I'm in the lion's den because I'm being attacked right now. Right now, there is a lion that is gnawing at me. There is a lion that is circling me. I wants to see me destroyed. Strengthen me, O oh God. Help me fight this lion. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come down here in this altar and work on your heart. Get your heart prepared and get your heart ready to go to battle with that lion. Because if you're going to be in the lion's den anyway, you might as well go in swinging.